This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology tools and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. Hello, podcast listeners. Well, welcome to another episode. And thanks for your ongoing support to this podcast. You are the ones who keep moving this podcast forward. So thanks for your support. Now, today, I'm going to be talking all about grant writing. If you're an executive director or CEO of your nonprofit, or if you're the development manager or development director of your nonprofit, you'll particularly want to lean in and listen close to this episode. The reason is, is because my guest today is Holly Rustic. Holly is an author, podcaster, and consultant, providing help and support on all things grant writing. And on this episode, I asked her all kinds of questions that I've had over the years when it comes to grant writing and best practices around grant writing. We'll talk about things like, when is it time to actually hire a grant writer? And when you do, do you hire a freelance grant writer or is it better to hire them as a staff member? And what are the key elements of a good grant proposal? Or how much should you ask for when it comes to staff or admin costs when requesting a new grant? Well, these questions and many more will be answered by Holly today. I think you're going to enjoy today's show. Well, Holly, it is so fun to have you on the show today. I'm excited to talk about all grant writing, all things grant writing, and why it's such a critical piece of any nonprofit's fundraising model. So I thought I'd start out by just asking, talk about a percentage of a nonprofit's development budget. How much should be filled by grant writing? Oh, that's such a good question, Rob. And thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. But I'm on the Grant Writing Funny Podcast, so that's a lot of fun. And 
Yeah, definitely, you know, looking at grants, right, with nonprofits. And a lot of that question is like, what's the percentage? And, you know, it really depends. So here I got to show, I got to say the depends word, right? It really depends on the size of your nonprofit and your goals as well. Whereas I would say a lot of nonprofits, way more than like most of them, come into even starting a nonprofit with, hey, there's grant funding out there. Let's start a nonprofit so we can get grants. And they do it completely opposite, right? And at that point, I would say, ooh, hold the reins because that, you know, you can't really come into it like that. Like you have to understand grants and grants are a finicky relative, right? (laughs) So they can also be your generous uncle or aunt, but at the same time, they can, you know, it can be something like the problem child too. So we really need to understand grants and that they do have a specific duration that a lot of times they are just seed money, expansion money for a duration of time. They're not meant to sustain your general operations a lot of times. And they have a certain duration that they're going to they're gonna stop, right? So I've seen a lot of nonprofits even get large grants and be really excited about it. And maybe that's their only funding, like 100% or 90%. And then they hire all the staff to run the program. And guess what happens in two years, three years, or one year? that grant ends and they have to figure out their hustling. How do I keep paying for this person? And all the staff is thinking that too. Like, oh my gosh, my job's on the line because it was grant funded when I came in. They even said that. It depends on the grant funding. And that's a stressful place to be, right? So I would definitely say, I don't know if this is a long answer, but not 100%. (laughs) Let's not go there. And in fact, a lot of information and research is showing that you really want to have a good balance and even looking at 20 to 30% only of grant funding is really looking more at a healthy nonprofit. So other types of funding that you can build in, like I mentioned, fundraising, donors, corporate, creating products that you sell, right? Or services that you offer. Maybe you're a counseling nonprofit. You could do sliding fee scale for some of your counselors still to get some income. It doesn't all have to be free, right? A thrift store, a coffee shop, like selling merch. Like there are other ideas that you can tie to the mission of your nonprofit as well and really build that up so it's more healthy because grants do end (laughs) and they are restricted a lot of times. Well, and what let's keep going on that same topic of when it comes to grant writing, say it's 30 to 40% is your goal. When should a nonprofit hire a grant writer, right? I know I've gone through that process of like, do we actually get a grant writer? Do we just maybe get a 1099 grant writer that does it for four or five different nonprofits? Do we hire them as a staff member and add benefits to the whole package? Do we include it when the development position? Yeah. Tell me more about that. When you recommend nonprofits to actually hire a grant writer for themselves. That is such a good question because, okay, so I'll just kind of retrace my steps a little bit. So I just said 30, 40 on average. Some nonprofits, so once again, as I started that out, it really depends on your goal. It depends on where you're at. Some could have a little bit more, but it depends like, you know, a lot of higher institutions. I have a lot of grants as well for research, but they also have tuition coming in, right? So there's different, you still, there's a healthy mix. So as far as hiring, when you should hire a staff writer. And here's the thing is a lot of times, smaller nonprofits that are getting into grants, they may say, let's hire a staff person that will just throw grant writing on their lap, right? And I just want to say, hey, that's kind of like, I actually recommend larger nonprofits to hire internal staff grant writers and those that are starting out to hire freelance grant writers, right? Or grant writing agencies like that. So it's a 1099, it's not a staff. 
And the reasons behind this, I'm just going to give you four main reasons why your nonprofit should really consider this as a pro, right? So the pros and cons of hiring a freelance grant writer. Definitely the one pro that comes out like, boom, right away is that they are not staff. And that's actually a good thing because what I was talking about before, when that grant ends, when that funding ends, you're always like, oh my gosh, I got to keep staff on payroll. And that's just like, a burden, as you know, for the executive director can bring a lot of staff stress to them and to think about people's lives and stuff like that. Whereas a freelancer, you're only hiring. They're not staff, right? You don't have to worry about payroll forever. You just say, okay, we, we have this budget that we're going to pay you and you're going to do these deliverables by this amount of time. So maybe find 10 grants that are a good fit, write five of those all within a year, and this is how much we're going to pay you. So it's not this ever-ending kind of stress and on your budget and on your executive director, especially when you're starting out, right? So the next thing I would say as a pro is you definitely um, can hire an expert then. So like I mentioned, a lot of people just want to hire that intern or that person that kind of does it all and dump grant writing on their lap. And unless you give that person specific grant training, you can't really expect to be winning grants or even writing good grants or even submitting the number of grants that you need to submit, right? You're just not going to get that But if you hire someone that that's all they do, like I'm your grant writer, I'm going to find grants and I'm going to write grants and I'm an expert in that, I've won grants, you know what I mean? I know all that world. Then you're going to get like so much more value out of that, right? And and those expectations are going to be different. So definitely that's a pro. So I got two more for you. So another one is big. Yeah, and I I think you, you might resonate with this one is this one people don't think about a lot, but you don't have to manage a consultant, right? So you have to manage staff. Yeah. Like when you hire staff, you got to manage them. You got to do the meetings. You got to oversee this. You got to, you know what I mean? All of the things. But as a consultant, sure, you might, you're, you definitely still want to meet with them. A lot of times the consultant is running that meeting though. They're kind of managing you, right? And you don't have to be like, when is that going to get done? Did you get that done? They're going to be telling you that. That's going to be, you could ask for that in a, in a weekly report that you can just look over. You're not managing that. And that can be helpful because, yeah, like you're already managing so much as an executive director. Like to manage somebody else, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't even know if I want to hire someone because then I have to like do all the things, right? So, and then my final thing, if there's more than this, but these are just my top four are you don't have to provide an office. You don't have to provide fringe benefits. You don't have to provide a computer. Like there's a lot of added cost to hiring a staff member. Even if you said, well, their salary is only $35 an hour. And if I hire this freelance grant writer, that's actually like $100 an hour. So, oh my gosh, I'm just going to hire this staff. Well, what you don't think about is that office space that you have to you know pay for, which might be $2,000 a month. Yep. <laughs> The computer crashing, the technology, the holidays off, all of the things that could, the fringe benefits, right? Are you offering health and insurance? Are you offering all the other things? Like there is a lot, the training, there's so much more that goes into it. And all of a sudden they may not even be that expert. You also have to manage them, which is opportunity time away. So at the end of the day, you're actually, you could be getting such a better bang for your buck just from your budget, but also from your, your stress, right? And your frame of mind and actually being productive. 
I know I like it. I like the four pros. And I think it's interesting as I think about uh, my experience a little bit, you know, when I first came on, I was doing the grant writing essentially as the executive director. You know, it was one of the many hats that I wore was grant writing. And then I remember we went through this process. And when we said, you know, we do need to start pursuing more grants. We need to diversify our funding. So then we finally hired a development person. And I still did the grant writing and kind of then leaned into the program director along with the development. We kind of split it. And then we finally, a couple of years ago, moved to a grant writer not full-time though, but it was a staff person that was overseeing some other things. And then we uh, was really wanting to do grant writing. So that would be a question maybe we could go to, to build off of those pros and just talk about development, right? That oftentimes grant writing is incorporated into the job responsibility of the development director or development manager. What have you seen when it comes to that is, again, I'm sure it depends right on the size of the organization. It depends on who the development person is, but what's your typical process or maybe the progress of a nonprofit investing in a grant writer and how that relates then to their development person? I love that question. And I love that you have that personal experience that which many people do. And you know, and I think that, and especially like the executive director usually always starts writing grants and I'm like, hey, <laughs> offload that. So, but you know, yeah, because it takes so much time and then you're not able to do like your other duties, right? But, and and that's the same thing, like as a fundraiser, like development, right? Fundraising development, because that person, they may also do some of the fundraisers, they may do some of the donor cultivation, they may like really just focus on revenues coming in. So I would say that can be okay. And especially if they also have the skills, but once again, give them the training, right? Give them the training. And we have a great writing class if you want that, right? Like, so we definitely, you need to like offer them training and not just expect them to kind of like figure it out on their own, right? By watching a YouTube like video. We have those too, but you need to be a little more comprehensive if you really want them to do well, right? So the other thing too is this actually goes back to strategic planning. So I would say this question that you have, it really goes back to what are your nonprofit goals for the year? You know, and what are the objectives to reach those goals? And as fundraising, you know, if you're saying overall, we're looking at developing, you know, we want to get three grants at $100,000 in total, and we want to get, you know, $250,000 from fundraising and this from this, right? And you're kind of breaking down your different funding revenues, I say definitely do that and say, get have a goal for each one of those. Then you have to realize to do those things, do we need one, more than one person? Can the board pitch in and do any of those things, right? Like what is the the woman or manpower that is this, that, you know, the capacity that you need to reach that? So I think that's more important to really figure it out from that perspective. And maybe it's, you know, we're going to write one grant or a couple of grants, and it's going to be for the same program that we're doing a fundraising appeal letter for. And it's going to be the same program that we're doing donor cultivation for. Well, maybe one person is absolutely sufficient then, right? And as long as they have the skills and or they can be trained with the skills, then that could be fine. So it really, once again, the D where the depends work, it really depends then more from your strategic plan, I would say, from that aspect. No, that's helpful. Okay, I like the distinction. Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue, but knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. 
And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. All right, now moving on to like grant proposals, right? That That's always something that's a little daunting, particularly if you're new at it, or it's something where you're trying to get new grants and you're trying to figure out how do I have the most compelling grant proposal? What would you say are the key elements to make up a really good grant proposal? Right, yeah. So you really want to make sure that you understand what they're asking for, right? So you really, when you're looking at funding sources, what are they asking for? But I say, even before then, know what you want to fund, Right. Because we can easily just mission drift and like say, look at that shiny grant for a hundred million dollars, a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is, whatever is shiny, right to you. Then we can drift real quick and say, let's put together a program so we can get that money. And I would say that's not the way to do things. So I would say that really the way to do things is to create a master grant template. And what's there? And we do that. We help you with that. But you can definitely go and check out our free class that we offer to get some tips on our structure. So what we do is we really like to develop a structure to say, first, identify, is it really even a need? Because if you go through this step first, you're not going to mission drift. Like you may think you have an idea that fits a need, but at the end of the day, a lot of times programs don't work because it really wasn't the need, right? And just as a real quick example, one of the organizations I worked with, people in recovery, they said, we want to provide more recovery services, right, for these people in substance abuse recovery. So it was like, okay, that's a great idea. And if we would have just went straight there, built out a program, added more classes, added more staff, whatever, maybe it gets funded. That's great. But first we did the research and we asked the beneficiaries, is this what you need in a focus group, right? And they said, no, that's not what we need. There's plenty. We need transportation to get to those classes. So yeah. So then we developed We had research, which was great to put in our grant because we had that focus group. So that was fantastic. And then we had, we hired a driver. So somebody that was in recovery, so they also had a job. And then we hired, or then we purchased a minivan and we had it more about the transportation. So it was a completely different program that was then very successful because we really came from the need. So I would say understanding the need is really important to make sure you're developing a program because once you hit the need, you flip it for your goal, you base your objectives on that, you base your task on that, and you build your budget around that. So the need is really the cornerstone of the entire grant, right, to be able to have that. So I would say those would be the elements that you need. And then you can actually create a master grant template before you even look for funding, right? So then when you're looking for funding, you know, okay, maybe Department of Transportation has some grants available. Maybe SAMHSA has some grants available, right? Now you understand like kind of where to go because you have a program that needs to be funded. And you can also pull from that template again and again and again for a fundraising appeal, for a crowdfunding campaign, right? You've already built out the research. You've built out the budget of what you need. You're really clear on the mission. So it's easier for you to sell too. It's easier for you to ask for money, right? A lot of people struggle with that. So yeah, so I would say first start with internally figuring out what that program is and building it up there. It doesn't have to be like 50 pages long. It can just be a couple of pages with those main points. But when you have that data, that's your framework for everything. One of the key things in grant writing proposals, and you already kind of mentioned it, but it's 
really having a compelling story as part of the grant writing and the grant process. Why is that so important? And maybe do you have any tips on how to really create a good, compelling story so it's clear to the person who potentially may um, support you, they'll be really moved and, and, and fired up and excited about the mission of what you're trying to pitch? Yes, I love this question because a lot of times our storytelling and grant writing is very different than my storytelling I may have in a fundraising appeal. I can use the same data in my framework from my master grant application and transfer it into a fundraising, but I can make it a little bit more fluffy over here in the fundraising appeal. I can make it a little more heartstrings bold or you know, aspirational, right? Like I can, I can go there a little bit more in that more creative kind of storytelling, traditional storytelling, if you will. But with grants, we need to be a little bit careful. I'd actually say your storytelling is just different because I see a lot of people, I've been a grant reviewer as well for like over a decade with the federal government. And what I see a lot of grants coming in is trying to use that heartstrings kind of like compassionate storytelling that's a little bit more traditional than what we can score on. Because the thing is, is as a grant, I have a rubric I have to score the grant on, right? So whether that's a foundation grant, et cetera, yeah. And it doesn't say how like aspirational grant most of the time or how was it, did they pull your strings? Yeah, like, no. Yeah, it's, you have to use a rubric. So this rubric doesn't ask for you. And, and, and honestly, every single grant that's submitted, as long as it fits a need, it's going to pull my heartstrings. So you, if you're just using a more like a better adjective, it's not going to really change my mind. They're all needed. So I would say you need to really rethink the way you tell your story. You want to use data. You want to use statistics. You can use testimonials to put more of that human kind of storytelling in there as well, right? But you have to ground it then with citations. So it's really coming at it more with like, what, because that actually pulls my heartstrings. If you just say, oh, there's a need and these people have this and you're trying to use more of that traditional storytelling appeal, it doesn't really get to me because I'm like, I can't score you on that. And, you know, I get like everything that there's a need. But if you tell me, look, there's only, you know, there's no programs, there's no shelters in our area for homeless people. And we have, there's, you know, 323 homeless people who are, you know, tech, we're trying to get services here, blah, 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 blah. and you're using statistics and data. And that's, that's pulling my heartstrings. That actually gets me, <laughs> I can score you on that. So I would say really reframe the way you're thinking about this. Every time you're pointing out a need, back it up with a source, back it up with something, because then that's going to get my attention and I can score you on it. So just reframing your storytelling abilities. I really may like how you made that distinction between, on the one hand, kind of your traditional storytelling that you do in development or, you know, you're doing in a campaign or in social media, but then grant writing, I think most people don't realize there is a rubric, particularly when it comes to federal grants or, and just grants from a foundation where they're actually having to follow a rubric and aspirational and inspiration is not necessarily one of those. So love that you highlighted it. Now, another big thing that always comes up in grant writing, I feel like, is how much should grant writers or how much should organizations include when it comes to, quote, admin costs or overhead costs is the, you know, the term people don't like to use, but it's basically the same idea where you have the program cost, right? You're asking to support, but there's always a bit of a, most grants allow you to have some kind of percentage that goes towards admin cost is the most common, I think, you, term they use. So for large grants in particular, but I guess in grants in general that you ask, what's that typical range for an admin that is a, an appropriate ask? Right. And this is the tricky part, right? And this is the part that a lot of us grant writers have been pushing on and against for years. Like, 
you know, it, it is. If you, any of you guys follow Zule from Nonprofit AF, like this has been a big movement, like to push against Mackenzie Scott, right? Look at what she's doing. She's actually releasing grants now that are saying, I don't really even need any program reports, really. You know, like all of those things. And you don't really need to tell me outcomes. I just am trusting you to like spend the money. And, you know, and I know there's a little bit of chatter about that too on how it's set up. But I think the intention there is really, it's it's going through this movement of, if you're asking me, because a lot of grants, here the thing, here's the thing, you're asking me how much, you got to go back to the eligibility of the funding opportunity announcement or the grant application because there's usually requirements there. Sometimes they say you can only ask for 10% of administration or personnel is what they'll call it, right? So sometimes they say you can't ask for any. And that's been traditionally what's happened. And maybe that made you stay away from grants for a while too, because it's really unfair and it doesn't make any sense from the eyes of the nonprofit who's like, I got to keep the lights on though. And I still got to pay my ED and my bookkeeper and all these indirect costs, right? Or these admin costs, you know, or I got to pay, I can't just buy that van for my program that I was talking about. I still need to hire the driver. I still need to like pay the instructors. Like, you know what I mean? So it's been kind of a weird thing. And so you, what you do still need to look at that application to make sure like, what are the restrictions for that? But I would say we are sort of moving into where we can ask for more. Because for me, I'm like, what you can ask for is for more is if there's a general operating grant. So you'll see this is, a, you can, you know, use this for general ops. General ops are paying your rent, paying your, your personnel, all of those types of things, right? And we saw more of a movement as well, this kind of fast track during COVID. So general operating grants have always been there, but they've been few and far between and every time I've seen it, I'm like, grab that one, right? So, but, and it's been more program fund funded or project grants. And project grants that we kind of teetered on this earlier is that can make some people create programs that aren't necessarily needed, but they need to pay their staff. So they're like, I'll take that 10% from that grant just to pay my staff. We'll be right back. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology tools and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom-line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank, 
Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in 7 Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. It's interesting to bring those examples up because I have definitely, um, just in the last couple of years, I think you're right, COVID, it really started happening in this direction where a lot of these unrestricted gifts, unrestricted grants are been have been given to nonprofits. And I think that is overall a welcome trend because both you and I have been in part of nonprofit organizations. And I think it is so affirming, first of all, when a donor says, hey, I trust you, just use it well, and uh, I want to give it as unrestricted as possible. That's wonderful. And then, of course, as a nonprofit, it gives you such freedom to be able to support exactly where you need it the most. And that just is life-giving often for nonprofits. Okay, so another thing I know when it comes to grant writing that I often talk about with my development team is new grants. Uh, how do you find them and, and where do you get these new grants? So for you, uh, your experience with this, how does a development person and or grant writer go about researching and pursuing new grants specifically? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different options and I think it also depends on what kind of grants you're looking for. Like a smaller nonprofit that's just starting up, you know, let's say under 100,000 per year in annual operating budget, like they may not be ready to like jump in the federal grant lane yet, right? I mean they might be ready to get some local foundation mini grants, right? Maybe they see something from your local grocery store or banks that do some type of like $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 grants, $10,000. You know what I mean? Something a little bit smaller. So I would say look in your community first if you're at that level. And then you're building your portfolio because the, really there's two things grant funding sources need to know. Can you manage money? Can you implement projects, right? So if I'm managing... $1,000, I'm still managing $1,000. So don't get me like, oh, we only got $1,000. Like it is building your portfolio. So then you can ask for five, right? Because I know you can manage 1,000 or 500, right? And yeah, so there's that point. And then the other thing with that is a lot of people will say, well, I'm stuck between the rock and a hard place, Holly, because how can I get you know, a $500 grant if I've never managed $500 grant before? And I say, it doesn't have to be a grant. This has to be money. Can you get $500 in donations? Can you get a fundraiser, right? There's other ways. Remember, it's just, can you manage money? It's not manage grant money necessarily, right? So that's how you can get started. Yeah, and kind of look internally, I would say, at your community. And then when you you start to grow, maybe you are ready for federal grants. There's definitely grants.gov, which is completely free out there. Um, And that's the website, grants.gov. So you can look at federal grants there. It does take an art and science to kind of looking at things. You can go to federal agency websites like Department of Education and check for grants there. They also have to publish on grants.gov. Like all of the federal grant making agencies have to publish um, funding opportunity announcements or grant instructions on grants.gov. But it is also nice to go if you know, like I'm a department education nonprofit, like also check that website. Remember, it is about building relationships and if you're just asking for money once a year, is that really building a relationship? Probably not, right? So there's other ways you can send them tickets for free to your fundraisers so they can just check out your what you're doing. You've talked a lot, Rob, I know, on developing relationships over coffee with people. Like, 
you know, it is about relationships. So when you're looking for grants, keep that in mind. Even federal grants, you might say that's so far removed. I'm in Utah and that's in DC, Holly. How can I even develop a relationship? You can. You can call those program officers and be like, hey, we're thinking of submitting this grant for your program that's open. And this is what it's all about. Do you think it's a good fit? Now, they're not going to say, oh, that's going to get funded. They're not going to say that at all. They can't give you any of that. But they might say, you know what? I know this isn't on our priority, but really we're looking at this a little bit more this year. So it might just help you kind of tweak your grant a little bit, right? Get to know the person a little bit more, right? There's still people there that review your grants, right? So far. (laughs) So AI completely changes the world. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think it's my um, uh, only experience. I think a lot of people experience this where when they came on as an executive director or CEO or they move into that role, that's often one of the things they do is grant writing. And then they eventually get to a place where they start handing that off. So assuming those who are listening who say they, they're big enough at least to have a development person and or a grant writer, either a consultant they hire on the side, so to speak, or they've hired somebody in-house that is now their grant writer. How much should the grant writer interact and collaborate with, say, the CEO or executive director of a nonprofit? Uh, is there a couple of examples you've seen where there's just a good partnership where you know the grant writer on the one hand really has freedom to do what they're you know paid to do, but at the same time, there's still interaction with the CEO and the executive director who often does a lot of the you know big donor asks when it comes to relationship building and and talking to people personally. How does that relationship work at best? Uh, like, what are those examples you've seen where it really is a thriving model? Right. And, you know, I definitely, there has to be some kind of relationship. Even if you're hiring a freelance, a consultant, like, you know, to write it, you still have to have those meetings. Like we mentioned earlier, you don't need to manage them, but you need to have those meetings. It can't be completely hands-off, like, you know, go get us money now. And then like, that's it. Like you still, like, remember, we just talked about relationship building. So the grant writer, you know, especially as a consultant, I really urge the consultant that I work within my grant professional mentorship also to kind of kick that part back over to the ED, right? To the face of the organization, to someone who's going to be there long-term and say, okay, we're looking at this grant. I might be able to reach out to them first, but I'm going to CC you in. I want you to be a part of this conversation. Or here's this person. Do you know them at this foundation that's on this board? Could you reach out to them, right? So you could do the, the, the work on the ground of getting the phone number, getting the information, knowing who's what, but to also make that part of it not just you doing, right? Because a lot of times the ED, like, you know, they're going to be like, just do it. Like, oh, I got to run this. <laughs> I'm busy over here. But he, that you don't want that because that's actually a con of hiring, could be a con of hiring a, a freelancer or a consultant is you could lose those relationships when they leave. So you want to make sure you're a part of that relationship building. It doesn't mean you need to write all the grants. It doesn't mean you need to do all of the communication with that point of contact, but you need to be in the loop. You need to know what's going on, right? So I would definitely say having just like that conversation of this is how we're going to communicate with the funding sources and this is how we're going to communicate together. That's really important. The other thing is I always say you need to have a kickoff meeting for a grant where the ED is there, the lead grant writer is there, the accountant is there if you have one or a bookkeeper, right? And anyone else who might be a subject expert on that grant, right? And if you have somebody that's doing like even an intern that can pick up letters of support or MOUs, And you all just have a kickoff meeting. You go over that grant template that we explained. Here's the problem. Here's the goal. Here are the objectives. And then you say, okay, first draft, what's the deadline? Getting those letters of support, when's the deadline? Who's going to do it? So you say all the deadlines for all of the tasks that need to get done by who, right? And when is that going to be? And because the ED is a part of that, 
then what it eliminates, because what I have the history and the ED is not there, is then the grant writer is chasing everybody around and they are running away from the grant writer because they're busy. <laughs> but if you just have that, yeah. but if you have the ED there, you have that level of authority that this is what I expect from everyone to do. And let's make it more of this, you know, comprehensive, this, you know, building that up that we're going to be working together. So you can even plan a next meeting from that meeting to say, okay, in two weeks, we're going to meet again and see where everyone's on their tasks and their deadlines. And that's just going to make everyone smoother to know what they're expected to do instead of feeling like, oh, this grant runner is chasing me around. I don't have time to do this. And they're telling me to get this. And it, it, it gets weird. So those two things, looping in with point of contact communication and having that kickoff meeting with the ED there, very important. Like that, like it. Well, my listeners will notice um, in the show notes here and in on my website, you'll see um, Holly and her company are sponsoring the podcast. So I definitely encourage you to check it out. Uh, there's gonna be some good information for you. But Holly, give us an, uh, an idea again. You have your own podcast. You've got a good book out there. You've got some resources for us. So tell us how best can people connect with you. Tell us a bit more about your resources. Sure. So thank you, Rob, again. Like we're really excited to be a podcast sponsor for you guys. We love the work that you're doing. You came on our podcast and I was like, I like him. And I like, you're talking about your, the listeners out there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this aligns perfectly. And we definitely have some resources for y'all. So if you guys liked what I talked about today, definitely check out our podcast, Grant Rating and Funding for all you listeners. Please subscribe. <laughs> and you'll be able to hear, like we get a lot of interviews. I also do a lot of solos where I talk about very specific grant things. And even we talk about transitioning into becoming a freelance grant writer. So if that's something you're thinking about doing as well, we definitely have resources for that. And we also are offering you guys a free grant writing class. So less than an hour. If you guys want my framework and a workbook, you guys can jump on that right away and watch that and get that information too. You know, like I said, even if this is for that intern or that funding person, give them some training, please. It's going to help you guys out and it's going to make them feel more successful and more confident to actually write grants because they will hide from them under the table. And you do not give them training, right? They can feel overwhelming. We want to break down that overwhelm. Yeah. But thank you so much for having us on. Like, this has been fun. Thanks for having me on, on your show today. This is awesome. Oh, it's been great. No, thanks for all you do just to invest in the nonprofit sector, you know, helping get grant writing to the point where it really does start bringing in that key revenue for nonprofits is so critical. And so thanks for the role that you're playing. And again, thanks for taking time to be on the show. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.